Hello, and welcome to Off Leash. I'm Kat Eschner, editor of the Ryerson Review of Journalism. And I'm Vivian Fairbanks, senior editor. You'll recognize my voice from past episodes. Today, we're going to talk about technology journalism, specifically what it takes to be a tech reporter. We'll be hosting Matt Braga, former editor of Motherboard Canada, and Claire Brownell from the Financial Post. So Kat, you're the one who wanted to talk about technology. I'm just kind of along for the ride here. Tell me why it's a topic that interests you and that should interest us. Well, I spent the last few months working on a feature for the ROJ that's about the Toronto Star's new tablet app, StarTouch. I found myself delving into a world of app technology that I never really had to explain on paper before. Did you know a lot about tech writing before you started? I did a piece last summer about Twitter and another about lighting that was sort of technical, but I hadn't done anything like this. What's different about this story? Is it just the magnitude of the research and writing you had to do that that related to tech? There's that, but also Touch is a really different kind of news app, and the only other place where an app like that exists is La Presse in Quebec. So many review readers, you know, Anglophones and people throughout the country, hadn't really seen anything like this. When I'm writing about Twitter, for instance, people have seen Twitter. The way it works and the language it uses have become part of our lexicon. But when I'm writing about this, I had to boil it down and explain everything on a very, very basic level. What did you discover when you started to do that? (laughs) That it's incredibly hard to uh, describe what stuff like StarTouch actually was and, and how it worked. And, and doing both of those things without sounding like an instructional manual, like here's how you move something or here's how you open it, it's actually very difficult to make that fun. Okay, so from the time when you first started to pitch your project to now, when was the first time that you stopped and you thought, you know, Kat, take a step back. This is a challenging thing to explain. Like, I'm going to have to start consciously working on it. Probably when I was writing the second draft. Like, I knew what Touch was, and I'd been reading it regularly and, like, using it regularly, so I knew how it worked. But my editor had never seen it, and he was really confused by parts of the story. And every draft from then on, he would say, well, you have to explain this more. You have to tell me more about how it works and explain this better. And I kept being like, well, I don't want to make it boring. You know, mm-hmm. I don't want to tell you exactly how to use Star Touch. That's a boring piece. And he kept saying, but you have to give us something. And there's the word count issue too, right? Because you can't just explain in a hundred words every time we ask you to explain something. No. And frankly, I don't think anybody would read that because mm-hmm. I, I'm sure there are very talented tech writers out there who could make that stuff deeply engaging. In fact, we have two of them coming in later, but I am not among them. When I wrote it, it literally sounded like one of those like Samsung manuals for like a, a watch or a radio or something. So what specifically did your editor not really understand? It's not as, just as simple as being a newspaper on a screen, right? And it's not really like a website either. Star um, Touch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you might not might have noticed, I don't know, but um, there wasn't really any Star Touch advertising before it launched last September. And people at the Star told me that was intentional because you can't really explain the app without showing it to someone. And that was something La Presse had done as well, although La Presse had a slightly different rollout schedule. But, you know, I actually kind of thought they were right to do that because I don't think that just seeing a photograph of StarTouch really tells you much about it. You're making it sound like it really is different from anything that most people have experienced. <laughs> yeah, it, it is and it isn't. You'll, you'll see when you read the story. <laughs> so mysterious. Uh-huh. Okay, so if I understand what you're saying now, then in the story, you're not really explaining the mechanisms of like the actual software. You're not saying how things work inside. You're kind of more explaining how a person would use the software. Yeah, pretty much. And and I mean, that I think is what's really difficult about technology reporting, because you have to explain the human side. But in order to explain the technology, you have to at least touch on its technical limitations and how to use it. Can you give me a specific example? Describing gestures. 
I mean, the gesture, like the hand movements you, you use with the app, they aren't all like the, the movements you might use with another touchscreen app on your phone or on your tablet. There's this kind of pinch and flick motion. Um, I mean, you can't see what I'm doing, but I'm essentially trying to snap with my thumb and forefinger. And I think I explained this motion differently in every draft and nobody ever knew what I was talking about. Was it like a zoom or a tap? I kept trying to tell them what it was um, and they kept trying to do it on, on the tablet. You know, people just couldn't replicate this motion um, given my, my instructions. So how did you figure out how to explain it in a way that showed the pinching and the flicking? Well, I mean, in the end, I showed it to some different people and essentially said, what motion would you do if you had to follow these instructions? And pinch and flick was really the closest, but it's still not, there's never going to be a perfect word for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You got to take a video and then attach it to your article and just show everyone. The star touch approach to it, for sure. <laughs> but like, as well, uh, this was something that really interested me about tech writing, because it was like, there's often not the language to do it. Either the language for some stuff feels too colloquial to use in most outlets, or it's overly technical. And, and there's not really this middle ground where people have been around these technologies long enough to really understand what they are and for us to use them. So that kind of relates to this New York Times editorial that you gave me, more assigned reading from Kat, Mm -hmm. and it was called, Happiness is a Warm iPhone. So why did I have to read it? (laughs) I always enjoy giving out homework, but uh, (laughs) beyond that, I thought in its own way it was a really good piece of tech writing. It's it's an American writer named Charles Yu who's talking about how how disenchanted he feels with tech like smartphones and computers. Yeah, when I, I read it, I thought it was kind of cool and different because he's not trying to explain any kind of technology, really. He's basically only writing about his emotions and his personal relationship with technology, which kind of makes it more accessible, especially to me. I have this ridiculous image of tech writing as something that would never really be accessible to me. I think the main point of his piece is really in the sentence where he says, technology has crossed the uncanny valley. It is simply too good at representing our real world. I mean, I think he's right, but I also think he's disregarding how much the the quote-unquote real world we live in now is mediated by the technologies he's fallen out of love with. They're almost too real in their own right to be lovable, which is something he acknowledges. He says that, you know, how can you love something that doesn't challenge you? And the the user experience and user design of most of these technologies aren't meant to be difficult. It's supposed to be a really smooth experience, you know, where we, we don't always have to question what a technology is or how it works. For instance, I'm so used to getting email on my smartphone and opening it in a certain way. I, I don't even think about it anymore. If I had to describe that to somebody, it'd be like trying to explain how to use a desktop computer to somebody from 1930. I'd have to be really procedural and just go through all the steps. By explaining how technology works, is tech writing supposed to kind of make us fall back in love with technology? Like, should I be reading your Star Touch piece and think, you know, I actually do love tablet apps. There, there's so many a- different angles you can you can cover technology from. I mean, tech is business, but on the other hand, tech is also culture, which is why it has such a home and motherboard. Really, it's this, this nexus of things that there's just a lot of different experiences going on in tech writing and a lot of different potential angles you can take. But if, if I was going to say, is it supposed to make us fall in love with technology again? I don't know if that's true, but I think much of it is supposed to help us make better romantic decisions. Well, on that note, after a shameless plug for our spring 2016 issue, which will include Kat's Star Touch article, let's uh, move on to our guests. studio with us right now is Claire Brownell. She's a journalist with the Financial Post who does a fair amount of tech reporting. And we have Matt Braga, who's a freelancer. He used to be the editor of Motherboard Canada and is also an RJ alumni. 
Welcome to the show, everybody. Thanks for having us. Thank you. How's everybody doing? It's sure uh, slushy out there. I'm a little bit wet. I had to wipe yeah. my glasses off before we started, but <laughs> I'm doing okay. A little chilly. And we're in the warmth now. Um, <laughs> how does it feel to be back in the RCC, Matt? Are you getting any RJ flashbacks? Oh, gosh. I, I had to peer into the fishbowl when I went by to see if Tim was still there, because uh, every time I, I think of the RJ, I just I, I have fond memories of working with Tim. <laughs> oh, so. He is. He is, for sure. Yeah. He can't forget <laughs> it, ever. <laughs> he actually went in this giant quest to find the issue that you were in today for me, and he for some reason he can't find it. So if you have a copy, I have like, like five copies. Maybe you should give him <laughs> oh, one. He yeah. was very concerned. <laughs> I mean, if Tim knew how to use, uh, th there's this thing that's been around for a few decades. It's called email. And uh, I think he has a copy of the PDF proof in his inbox. Somewhere. He does. He doesn't know how to use it. He just uses like excessive ellipses all the time. <laughs> it's like the Tim <laughs> signature. So, so maybe we should dive right in. So Claire, you recently did a piece about a carpooling app called Blank Ride, which is centered in both Toronto and Maracaibo, Venezuela. And I thought it was a really neat example of the different facets that tech reporting kind of has to hit. Like there's the story of the family who started the app, but also the app itself and this very real problem they're trying to resolve, the problem of, you know, traffic congestion. Can you just talk a bit about writing that story? Sure. I wrote the story for um, the entrepreneur section where we periodically do profiles of sort of up and coming startups. Um, so I'm always looking for interesting companies. And I also try and look for to bring a little bit of diversity to that section since I have, um, you know, basically complete leeway over what I pitch. So I had heard from a contact of mine at the uh, venture capitalist firm, Extreme Venture Partners, that was funding them about this app that had a founding team from Iran and what their tech team was in Venezuela. And that's all I really knew about it. So I thought that sounds interesting. Let's find out what's going on there. Basically, it's two brothers, um, both from Iran. One ended up in Canada, the other ended up in Venezuela, and they sort of realized they can take advantage of uh, the differences in currency and tech community in Venezuela to build this carpooling app, which is also a really interesting alternative to um, taking the bus or driving, make commuting a little bit less terrible in the GTA. So it just seemed like an interesting combination of the app was interesting, but also the story behind it was. Was there anything you really struggled with writing about when you were doing that piece? Probably the biggest challenge was just trying to, there was a little bit of a language barrier with mm. the team in Venezuela in particular. So I was trying to tease out what what is it like in Baracaibo in terms of uh, how traffic congestion is and what the public transit infrastructure is like there? I've never been to Maracaibo, so I know exactly how terrible it is trying to commute in the GTA. I have no idea what it's like there. I did, I did the best I could, I think, to, <laughs> to try and paint a picture of uh, the differences there and how it was operating there. Could you tell me a little bit about what else you're working on right now? Um, right now, I am uh, sort of neck deep in a huge feature on Bitcoin and this sort of internal schism that is going on right now in the Bitcoin community. There's a uh, I don't want to give away too much about it, I guess, but there's an interesting Canadian connection to a sort of consensus that was reached uh, last week in Hong Kong. So I've been interviewing some some people, some Bitcoin developers um, and uh, entrepreneurs who have been uh, involved in trying to try and get a consensus going on how to keep Bitcoin from dying. And Matt, what are you working on right now? What am I working on? Uh, so I guess at the beginning of the week, um, this came out, uh, I guess, late last night or this morning, um, but had been working on sort of my contribution to the whole Apple FBI sort of encryption saga that's mm -hmm. been happening in the U.S. Uh, and attempted to, uh, this was for the Globe and Mail, so I, exactly I attempted no to sort of Canada has been having a policy discussion about uh, sort of issues of encryption um, and also just more widely about um, police tools uh, that, you know, including things like uh, cell phone tracking devices and hacking tools and things like mm -hmm. that. So I guess this question applies to both of you, but when we're writing about Bitcoins or encryption and Apple, like, is this stuff that you both already know about and are just trying to explain to readers or do you have to like first step back, learn everything there is to learn about Bitcoin and then go write about it? 
It can be really challenging, absolutely, because I do not have a technical background. I also don't have a business background. I have a degree in political science. <laughs> I mean, I think it can be great to have reporters who have deep expertise and knowledge and inside sources um, in you know issues like these. And I think it can also be good to have somebody with a complete outside perspective uh, who's picking up on things that they realize are interesting, might be interesting to a general audience, but somebody who is really deeply involved might not see. So that's my excuse, I guess, for <laughs> writing about these things, despite having the technical background. But yeah, it does mean that it takes me longer, absolutely, to wrap my brain around some of the more technical aspects. Well, it's funny because I was in a similar boat where I think, as you mentioned earlier on, I, I'm an RRJ alumni, and so I just have a you know journalism degree. Um, but I've also sort of always had a pet or, I guess, hobby interest in sort of technology and science. You know, I've been doing this long enough in some areas where, you know, I can uh, perhaps explain something like a backdoor or what PG is uh, without having to put a lot of thought into it. Um, but also, too, I mean, those are very specific subjects. Like, there's sort of a range of things that I'll sort of cover, you know, as time goes on. And I find if I was trying to dive into, uh, you know, gene editing right now, like, I probably wouldn't be able to give you mm -hmm. a cogent explanation of how something like gene editing works. But within those beats, I guess. And Claire, I mean, how did, how did you fall into tech writing? It's something I've always been interested in. When I was a kid, I was really, I loved <laughs> classic science fiction. I loved, my dad is a giant fan of 2001 A Space. Odyssey. He's seen it 81 times. I've maybe seen it with him, you know, 15 of those 81 times. So it's uh, it's been something that I sort of grew up with and was always really interested in, considered, you know, going, getting a science undergrad degree instead of a arts one after high school, ended up going a different direction. And then in this job at the Financial Post, I've sort of had an opportunity to write about it again. And it's sort of rekindled my interest. And I've sort of remembered, oh, yeah, I really love this stuff. This stuff is really cool. <laughs> Tech is, well, it's, you know, the biggest business story going right now, you know, the two biggest companies in the world, Google and Apple are tech companies, um, and it just involves everything that is new and cool and interesting um, by definition. So I'm curious, does he actually count every time he watches <laughs> Space Odyssey? Like, is there a, a tally somewhere? I think, yeah, I think if you ask him, he would be able to tell you exactly how many times. <laughs> That's actually very scientific. <laughs> so another thing I wanted to ask you both about was audience. I know that Matt, coming from a Vice publication, or vice adjacent publication, I suppose, and you coming from FP in a newspaper background, that's that's quite different. Uh, and I would say the audiences there can be quite different. But how does the audience you're writing for affect the kind of writing you do when you're writing about technology? In a big way, it affects how I'm writing about technology. It's very challenging. Um, it's something, you know, I have conversations with my editor all the time about, can I just say Reddit or do I have to say, you know, the online bulletin board Reddit where <laughs> people can post messages to each other? And often we decide that it should be the latter because it's an audience of uh, smart professional people, but not necessarily people steeped in technology. And in just in general, you know, writing, if you're writing for a newspaper for a general audience, I think it's one of the biggest challenges is you have just this huge range of, you know, not just by ages, but I think by people where people live as well, just in terms of how much they know about these issues and interact with them, whether they even have the internet. You know, a lot of rulers in Canada don't. So it's, uh, yeah, it's it's hard to both not bore the people who know more about it, but also not confuse the people who don't. You told me about uh, one incident where you showed the piece to your mother and, and she just said, I don't know what you're talking <laughs> about. Yeah. Oh, that happens all the time. My yeah. mom's my sounding board for whether or not I've succeeded in <laughs> explaining <laughs> it to, uh, you know, baby boomers who yeah. don't know a lot about tech. Sometimes I, she, I, don't, I miss the mark and she lets me know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing from Motherboard, you would just say Reddit. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, we would probably say Reddit. I mean, we we probably wouldn't have to describe Bitcoin all the time necessarily as a cryptocurrency that people use to exchange money electronically. You know, like there, there's exceptions and I'm, I'm sort of generalizing. But yeah, I, I think Motherboard in particular tended to be a, a publication that technology, I guess, wasn't just a, a sort of section within like a larger publication. It was something that was sort of the technology and science was the, with the bread and butter of the site. And so you could kind of assume that you know, if you kind of just wrote an article about something, and I guess I'm just going to use gene editing again, right? But if you wrote about like the latest gene editing study or advancement, right, you wouldn't really need to bring readers up to speed necessarily. Like you could write a very specific, like, here's just the latest thing that's happened on this beat. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of neat when you can kind of have an audience that only sort of follows a specific subset, perhaps of technology or science, because then you can get a little granular sometimes mm-hmm. in the things you cover or the way that you cover them. So you can assume like, some kind of fluency? Do you feel like now you have to explain things more when you write than when you were at Motherboard? Um, not necessarily. What, one of the things I actually really love about freelancing is that because I can, in theory, write for so many different publications, I can kind of tailor the story I want to write to the publication in some ways, where, you know, if I know that I want to write about, if I'm really interested in like a really wonky, like telecom, wireless spectrum related thing, then I know that there's certain publications that'll let me write about that in maybe a very sort of, you know, wonky, granular, policy focused way. Uh, and then there'll be publications that, you know, perhaps will command maybe a little bit more of like a bigger picture, you know, what does this mean for the general person, right? As opposed mm-hmm. to just what does this mean for people who care about very specific technology related things? It's it's kind of neat. Yeah, it depends on the story. One of the things I encountered when I was working on the, the Star Touch piece is, uh, well, A, writing about tech is really hard sometimes, and, and B, there's not a lot of resources or, or much of a community that I found anyway around tech writing. Uh, science writing, for instance, there's a lot of resources for like how to do science writing, how to explain science. And I know there's quite a strong science writer community in even Toronto. Would you say that tech writers talk to each other in that way? I don't talk to them really. Maybe we should. Um, I guess it depends on what you're writing about. Like I know that um, I know a bunch of people who write about things in sort of the startup community or, or people who are writing perhaps more about consumer technology. And I find that there's small groups of people like that. But it's interesting though, like I'm trying to think about whether there's sort of, you know, more localized pockets of those people. And when I think about people that I know and I talk to who work in a similar field to me, I find that they're actually spread out quite a bit all across the world, really. And I mean, maybe that just sort of speaks to the fact that people are um, doing this perhaps spread out more than like, you know, in small communities. Because I mean, really, when you think about it, it's like in Toronto, even just in particular, it's like how many different publications and places are there for you to write about technology? Really, there's not a lot. There's like, you know, maybe one or two people at the Post, one or two people at the Globe, one or two people at the Star, and then other people who are operating under different beats who kind of sub in every now and then. I don't know. I I, I wonder if that's just, you know, the way things are, because there's just not as much of an audience for it necessarily here in Canada. And so you see the nexus of power for all those sort of writers concentrated in, you know, San Francisco, New York, um, and uh, and in London to some extent. Do you find that story length really has a factor in the way that you write a story? Like, would you wish that you always had more room to kind of explain tech things? You're writing about Bitcoin. Are you like, shit, I only have 100 words to explain what Bitcoin <laughs> is. Like, what am I going to do? How much does that factor into your writing? Well, I tend to write longer features and that's just what I enjoy writing. And that is a big part of if you have the space to, you know, especially if it's, you know, I'm writing to a more general audience without specialized technology. If you have a few paragraphs where you can really explain something 
I think that makes it a much better, clearer piece. I think some of the worst tech pieces I've written <laughs> have been, you know, the sort of the 600 word uh, same day newsers that I write them and sort of go, well, I hope, you know, five people understood that because mm-hmm. anybody else who has no idea what that is about will have no idea what it's about after reading my story. <laughs> that kind of implies that it's almost impossible to write like a really short tech story for the Financial Post just because there might be some stuff that you really have to explain all the time that you might not be able to explain. Do you find that there are just some stories that can only be covered in long form if you're writing for the post? Just business reporting in general is just hard. I mean, you read the business section and it's dense and it's tough to get through. In a way, it's written for a certain specialized audience of people. That's just, in other ways, that's just an excuse. (laughs) I think, you know, it could be better and clearer. I always strive for clarity. I'm not sure if I always succeed. What about you, Matt? It's funny because I enjoy having the length to sort of be able to sort of stretch my my legs a little bit, so to speak, and, and sort of dive into a topic. But I find maybe over the past like year or two, I've been trying to get better at trying to explain things more concisely in a way that perhaps doesn't require as much of, you know, really getting into sort of, you know, complexities or, or histories or just sort of like, you know, the nitty gritty of things, which is really, really hard. Um, and I find I think about this more, I guess, when I'm writing for perhaps more generalist audiences or even when I'm trying to basically write stories that are perhaps more updates or like, you know, the latest in a series of, of sort of things. And so it's, I don't know, I find it's a constant challenge and I actually quite enjoy trying to figure out how to um, explain like otherwise complicated sort of tech things in sort of a smaller amount of space, especially when the technology is sort of just a subset of like a larger story that perhaps involves sort of people or trends or or something that's happening as a result of the technology. I guess all this is to say, you know, I, I'm always fearful of basically getting too much into my own head and doing too much of the process work and doing too much of the policy and sort of the background and stuff. This is this is something I find is really challenging when, when writing about surveillance stuff in particular, right? Because, you know, you can get really, really deep into explaining how this program connects to that program and, you know, when this program was started and everything is sort of like a giant map that you're kind of just trying to map out through the course of the article. So trying to find a way to do that in less space while still maintaining the clarity is really tough, but I don't know. I, I try to get better at it. I, I don't know if it's ever like a battle that you can win. So speaking of uh, saying a lot of things in a short length, one of the things I found really interesting when I was researching for this was the headlines that were applied to your respective stories. So I grabbed a few. I don't know, Vivian, maybe you want to read the ones for Matt. Um, Yes. Always. I love to read. Are these Um, all called for motherboard? Yeah, they totally are. Okay. (laughs) Who knows if I'm going to pronounce this properly. It's okay. But I have the Verbicizer was David Bowie's 1995 lyric writing (laughs) Mac app and (laughs) making a car that won't let you sleep. So they're both very different headlines. Yeah. And then for Claire, I have how Netflix Inc.'s new global recommendation algorithms are upping the ante with Canadian rivals. And the other one is Pirates in Your Neighborhood how new online copyright infringement laws are affecting Canadians one year later. And what I found so interesting about these, and I I wanted to do them both at the same time, was just that there's such different ways of explaining concepts. And I I, I wondered how you each felt about how they explained your stories. Are these two headlines, Claire, for instance, are they reflective of the stories? Did any of them really annoy you? (laughs) Yeah. Well, so, I mean, interestingly slash embarrassingly, I'm pretty sure I wrote the algorithm one, the Netflix, the really complicated, long Netflix 
Facebook's algorithm when um, it might have been tweaked a little bit by the online desk. And yeah, I remember distinctly sitting there and just going, how the heck am I going to distill this into one headline? <laughs> Apparently, I, uh, I'm not sure I did such a great job. But yeah, algorithm is such a great example of a word that it is really easy to use in tech writing because it means everything, but it also means nothing. But in that case, that was the phrase that Netflix itself used. So that's my excuse. <laughs> and the other one, Pirates in Your Neighborhood, I, I didn't write the Pirates in Your Neighborhood part, but I think that was pretty good. The, you know, it sort of hooks you in. Would algorithms not have worked in the first one? How Netflix Inc.'s new global recommendation software, would that not have worked? Yeah, you know, maybe it would have in retrospect. <laughs> I probably should, in the headline in particular. Matt, I mean, I realize that yours are a bit more, more casual, which I think speaks to audience again. Do you think these headlines reflect what the stories are about? Uh, I'm going to say yes, because I'm pretty sure that I wrote them, uh, or at the very least participated in the process. One of the things that I just found like endlessly fascinating when I was at Motherboard was the way that we approached headlines where, you know, we were always having discussions about how to write better headlines and how to write headlines that would also be sort of unique to Motherboard because you kind of run into this problem where you a lot of the times are writing about things that are so similar to other people or at least on similar topics and things. And you realize that everyone uses similar constructions, everyone uses similar headlines even. Um, you know, you'll always see, you know, how the X won the battle or, you know, some, you know, there'll be like battle is a word that's used a lot or I guess that's all to say essentially you'll see trends in the way that headlines are written and so for these two in particular I think the way that they came together was um, every time someone writes a story they end up having you know at least five headlines kind of in mind and then we kind of take it to a small little group of people and just really quickly kind of go like does this make sense what's better sometimes we'll mash them up or write entirely new ones um, and in these cases I think they work because I think they were stories that you know everyone was talking about David Bowie the week that he died and finding a way to sort of write something that was about this topic that everyone was talking about, but in a way that was different, was I think something we tried to do with that. I think it did okay. Like verbicizer is a weird word to put in a headline, and and I hope that you know maybe it maybe it inclined someone to click maybe a little more you know other you know if we had just said like here's David Bowie's app or it's something. It's very intriguing like, the verbicizer. Yeah, I, I thought it was kind of cool. Um, as for the other one, I think the the intent behind that was similar too, right? Where like designing a car that won't let you sleep. I mean, you look at that and you think, well, yeah, you're not supposed to sleep in a car. Why would I do that? And then I think that was kind of the hope that, you know, you would look at that headline and think, oh, like, what do we mean? Like, why would you fall asleep in a car? How is it stopping you from sleeping? Like, what, mm -hmm. what the heck's going on here? So one of the things I wondered about with the, the Mac app one is, did they call them like, app is a pretty recent shortening of application, isn't it? It was interesting to have that anachronism in the head. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I struggle with that a lot when writing about um, software that was made before a, a specific period of time. I guess sort of, you know, the, the rise of the iPhone was really when we started appifying everything. It just, it's it's interesting to me because it feels so quaint to call something software now or to call something a program or, or to use the long form application. And I mean, you can do it. And I think in this case, it was described as probably a program or an application. But I don't know, I, I think just going with the sort of vernacular that people will probably understand the most today. You know, going back to, I think, what you were talking about a second ago, Claire, with algorithm, right? Where algorithm is such a meaningless word, but also I think for a lot of people, it's a convenient shorthand for, it's not necessarily like a piece of software or an app that you're running, but it's code that is sort of doing something almost magical in the background. And so, I don't know, it, it's, I think, algorithm and app, you know, these are just shorthands that people use to kind of understand concepts and they're an easy way to sort of, you know, show people like, this is what we mean. Magical, like, do you ever feel that you're kind of trying to explain magic to people when you write? Yes. I mean, <laughs> that that's such a, a one-word answer, but I mean, in, in, in a lot of cases, it's just, you know, you have something that, you know, when you really sort of think about the fundamentals of what's happening, right? 
why like you know you take a picture on your phone and then it magically appears on your computer a second later like it, it really does sometimes you know the first time you do something like that it feels like a sense of magic and so yeah in some ways kind of trying to break it down right and that's what that editorial that I tried to convince you both to read I think you both read it is really about that's why I found that was so interesting is he's, he's writing about you know enchantment with technology that doesn't happen anymore you know about losing the feeling of that that technological magic which I found really interesting because I almost find it more magical now I think I'm still enchanted with technology absolutely I think people are maybe uh, becoming disenchanted with their smartphones and I think maybe that's what that editorial was talking about in particular um, that we've now sort of uh, reached the I don't know that phase that we go through with like hey social media is a thing and it's amazing and let's be on it all the time and now you know the backlash uh, we're in the backlash stage I think for a lot of people so it may be that that particular form of technology or in some cases um, there's a backlash to it but I don't know if that necessarily means that technology in general has lost its magic we just need new and even newer and more exciting things come along do you write about technology because you're in love with it or are you in love with technology because you write about it I don't know. Matt, what do you think? Uh, I, I would say I, I write about it because I, I love it. I mean, lo- love is a strong word. I like certain aspects of it. I, I like understanding how it works uh, and, and how people are using it. And I, I think for me, I really, really enjoy writing about all of the things that in a way are almost technology adjacent. So things that, you know, technology enables or, or um, you know, helps make happen, I guess, is, is the best way to put it. But uh, yeah, I guess I love technology. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I'm pretty okay with it as well. It's not bad. It gets the job done. <laughs> I think I think that's everything. Yeah. Thank you so much for talking with us. It was really good. Yeah, this has been neat. Thanks, Ben. <laughs> thank, thank you both. Thanks for having us. And thank you listeners for keeping up with Off Leash. Our next episode will be out in two weeks from today. That's March 16th. Stay online and find us then. Good night. <laughs>